Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast, the special needs podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, we're talking about goal setting, how to make a dream a reality. I'll be discussing this with one of my regular guests, Ali Knowles. Ali is an emotional therapist and founder of the Ollie Model. She supports emotional resilience in children and young people. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We help schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, then we can help. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with us so we can take you through our assessment software. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing goal setting. How can you make your dreams a reality? Joining me today is one of our more regular guests, Ali Knowles. Ali is the creator of the Ollie model, the author of the series Ollie and His Superpowers, trainer of Ollie coaches, and an emotional therapist. Welcome back to the show, Ali. Hello, you've missed you. Good. Um, <laughs> we haven't recorded for a long while. I think episodes came out maybe a year ago, but we have not recorded. It is great to have you back on because I always do have lots of fun. No, you don't phone, you don't write. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's good to be here too. You could always phone or write to me as well. Just two ways, these communication things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have dreams or goals we set. And most of us have a dream and then go, yeah, I can't do that. So you give up. And in the film Dodgeball, Peter Lafleur, Vince Vaughn, his character said, I found out that if you have a goal, that you might not reach it. But if you have, if you don't have one, then you are never disappointed. And I got to tell you, it feels phenomenal. <laughs> I said that to Ali before we recorded. She was like, nah, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Somebody said to me once, never expect and you'll never be disappointed and occasionally have a nice surprise. I'll go with that one, but the the one you just said no because if you don't have a goal, you're not going to try, and the only reason you're not going to try is so you can't fail. So you've made up your mind you're going to fail. So you have got a goal. Your goal is I'm going to fail. So I'm going to do everything to make sure I do, including not having a goal. No. The whole good thing about that film is from that moment on he has a goal. <laughs> That's what I love about that film. It's a great quote. It is, because you see him sit on the sofa in absolute, having no money, nothing, and that's how he goes. It feels phenomenal. Well, you're lying to yourself, aren't you? You're lying to yourself. Well, he is and he isn't, because in a funny sort of way, I think that's very tongue-in-cheek, because the reality is we spend an awful lot of time in a very safe situation, even if it's uncomfortable, and then we develop a story that justifies us being in that safe situation, because then we don't have to try and we can't fail because that would be worse than being in a situation that isn't good, but it's kind of safe. So I get it, but no. Two and a half minutes in and we're already very deep already. Of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but sorry, I'll stop that immediately. I always like the thing is, I would say I'm optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. Yeah, I kind of hope for the best. Yeah, this is what's going to happen. But the other part of me is planning for, yeah, so I kind of, I'm going for that. 
but I've still got this just in case, because that way I know the Dr. Pepper thing. What's the worst that can happen? Well, that's my plan there. But I'm trying to get to the top one. But you'll probably turn around and say, well, the fact you have that bottom one means that's what you were half no, aiming no, no, for. that's too deep, isn't it? I, I think you've grasped that. I don't need to because you've just repeated it back to me. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? When you go on a journey, you get in your car, right, and you're going to go off somewhere. If you have got a sat-nav on your phone or in the car, you plug in the destination, right? Yeah. Why do you do that? You do that so that you know where you're going. Because if you don't have a destination, you can't get there. And yep. your little sat-nav will happily, deciding what mood it's in, get you there. <laughs> Rather than back roads or every traffic jam. But it will get you there because you've given it a direction. If you don't have a direction, you've got no chance. You'll be driving around forever and ever. So the thing to do is make sure that you have programmed your internal sat-nav. Where do you want to go? What do you want to be? And you don't need to be so defined, and we'll come into what I mean by that. But then the problem is you, your comment was like having two sat-navs on your dashboard. One's going, this is where I'm going. I know where I'm going. Get me there, little sat-nav. And then you've got a secondary one going, yeah, but we won't get there because we'll get lost. So throw a left here. Well, just throw a left. It'll get you lost, but it'll. I'm doing what you want. I'm your other sat-nav, yeah, the one that's telling you you can't. So you've got these two sat-navs battling. I'd have a headache. But we do it all the time. We have two sat-navs going. You really need to be very mindful of what you tell yourself because your brain is listening and it will take you there. How many times, a cliche in there, but how many times of, well, and we pick on men for this, but I'm just as bad and I've got a slight cold and someone says, oh, blimey, Ali, you look rough. Automatically, it's pneumonia. <laughs> I must be ill. Oh, my God. We really do this. We can program ourselves so powerfully. But the thing is, we don't realize we're doing it. But when we do it, we do it in a negative way nine times out of ten. Wouldn't it be good if you could use that in a positive way? And that's how with our model and our therapy, we do goal setting because we don't just work in schools and with kids and teens. We do a lot of grown-up stuff. We do a lot of corporate change management and project management and stuff. And goal setting is quite a biggie because there's lots of reasons you won't hit your goal. And one of them is if you call it a dream. Dreams are in your head, aren't they? They're not real. I'm just imagining you, Ali, in front of a load of people in suits. <laughs> oh, I'm really good. I have a bucket outside the room and it's it says, leave your job title here. Because I've sat through a few when in my old life, we've had people come in and talk to us. And it's like, that's lovely, but you don't know anything about me. I've got a family, I've got a mother, I've got this, I've got... And so it goes over your head. But if you get them to lose the job titles and just accept that ultimately we're human beings doing a job and our emotions are a very big part of that, then you're more likely to be helpful. And I can be grown up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> For short periods. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it is. We do dream. We always dream. But in our head, it is a dream. That's how you're saying it. It is a dream. Don't come real. Okay. What's the difference between I'm going to go on holiday to Spain this year and I'm going to emigrate to Australia or I'd like to emigrate to Australia? What's the difference? Quite a bit of money and a lot of time. In reality, the way you said it, they're both achievable. But what happens is I then look at what's involved in each of those and goes, one's really simple, one's a lot more complicated. The thing is that I am going to Spain next week on holiday. I've decided I'm doing that. It's I am. I would like to. 
is more dreamy, isn't it? So I haven't actually made that decision. That's definitely what I'm going to do. It's I'd like to, but I'm already telling myself it's out of my reach. And we're back to my sat-navs again. So one yeah. of them going, she wants to go to Australia and everyone's going, well, she'd like to, but obviously there's an issue with that. So, you know, we need to sort of hold her up, slow her down, put things in the way. And off you go again. So a dream is only a dream until you say, I'm going to do this. I'd like to is a dream. I'm going to makes that dream a goal. So one of the things I find, I love the sat-nav analogies because I liked before sat-navs, when you were going to Burnley and you're on the M25, there isn't a signpost saying Burnley. Yeah? Okay. You've got to know somewhere on the route to getting there. You've got to know to get to Burnley, you're going to go have to go past Birmingham. That's a big city on the way. Okay. So you're going to go, right, let's head to Birmingham. And I always liked it. Kind of, you always you didn't just go straight to your destination. When in the old days, you, with your map, you had to know what are those big steps on the way. And we do we go. Where are we coming up to Birmingham? Oh, I know where we are. And it kind of it gives you flags on the route. Yeah, you had you fine tuned. Oh, I'm coming up. I'm coming up to the Manchester bit. Oh, Burnley's not far away. I know where we are. One of the things with sat navs is you just get that destination. You haven't got any of these bits in between. And I sit there going, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? You have a timer, how long? But if there's a car crashing in front of you, the time goes up. There's a distance. But I, li- I liked having these, I've got to Birmingham. Oh, I've gone past Stoke-on-Trent. I know where I am physically. Every- everybody would have a different answer to that. So I'm very big picture and detail bores me. So I'm quite happy for the sat-nav just to tell me, that's where we're going, and I don't really think about it. But other people will absolutely want to know the steps to get there. And that, you know, that's normal and natural. And I think it's important to recognize that everybody does that in a different way and to be accepting of it. But one of the things that I see when we are helping people with goal setting, either seriously, we do corporate stuff, either in the corporate world or just someone trying to get through an exam or someone trying to lose weight or someone trying to change something in their world is. They kind of have a goal. They kind of have a goal, but it's still a little bit of a dream. So it might be I want to lose weight so that I'm more attractive and I can get the perfect partner. That's still a bit of a dream until you start to make it happen and it becomes a goal. But what happens is you look at this and all of a sudden it seems like a huge mountain and you're stood at the foot of the mountain and that dream, goal, whatever you want to call it, is blimming miles away and it's a hard climb up in it. And a lot of people fail before the first or second step. One, because it looks too huge. And also, they don't know what that step is. Not really. So what we do is we do it backwards. And what I encourage people to do is I ask them to imagine their goal, their dream, whatever they want to call it at this point, because at this point, it probably is a dream because they don't really believe it's achievable. What is it? And I don't know. It might be. I want to be working in the city and I want a really big office with one of those big, lovely desks, beautiful view over the skyline. I want to be earning more money than I know what to do with. I want to be completely in charge. Yeah, that's my goal. That's my dream. And that's the top of the mountain. So what I ask them to do is actually imagine they're there. I said, okay, park all the steps. Let's just have some fun for a minute. Imagine you're there, right? Talk me through this office. You said big desk. What's it made of? I get them to really associate in to this thing they're projecting. What are you wearing? Designer suits? You've got 
secretary, got 10 secretaries. You know, what's your office look like? What floor is it on? What's the view? I really get them to associate in. And then I say, how does it feel sitting in that desk? I'm like, yeah, pretty good. Why does it feel good? Well, everyone can respect me now. I've made it, haven't I? Oh, okay. Or they might say, well, it's pretty good because I can now take care of my family and I'm doing something I really love. Two very different things. And one of the things I find is when people are projecting and they are telling me about what's at the top of their mountain, it's either internal or external. External will be, oh, well, yeah, you know, when I go to the golf club in my car, guys are going to be really impressed by me. <laughs> That's external. And chances are you aren't going to be very happy on your mountain. You're doing it for the wrong damn reasons. That's a therapy job. If it's, yeah, no, I feel good because I know I can pay for the kids' schooling. Um, the hours aren't too bad, so I'm home and spend time with my missus, proper family time. That's internal. It's not ego. It's internal. That's more likely to make you happy. And a lot of people set goals based on external. So first and foremost, I sort of ask that question, is it internal or external? What's that about? Don't judge. Each of us are different. But if it's external, you're not doing it for you, really, are you? Well, you are, but is it what's really going to make you happy or is it what's going to... So a lot of the time, I would say an external goal like that is someone else has made you feel rubbish. And you think maybe by getting there, you've proved them wrong or there's some something... Now, this is a bit where you're going, well, actually, well, you've let them feel that or you're feeling that because of this. And there'll be, a, it'll be an internal reason that actually that's what you want to work on. I know this lovely guy and he decided that he was going to set up on his own and do this, this thing. He'd been doing it before, but for other people, he was going to do it on his own. And great. And he should have done because he was bloody good at it. And he absolutely should have done because he was helping a lot of people. And when he finally decided, yeah, I'm going to do it, we had the internal external sat-navs going on. And I listened as he talked and he said, and I'll be able to tell the people that own the company that didn't value and respect me and used to make me feel that. Look, this is who I am. This is what I am. And I said, okay, so you're doing this to prove a point. Or are you doing this because it's something you love and you're good at? And the moment we said that, it was an interesting thing. So I said, so tell me about your office. And the office, when he was proving a point, was huge, big, all tech, highest tech you could get, some that's not even been invented yet. And then the office of the guy that was doing it because it's what he's good at and he loves and enjoys wasn't quite so high tech, but the guy sat in the office was 10 times happier. So it's really important to identify what that goal's really about. Is it internal or external? And then the lovely thing you can do is... You can get them from the top of the mountain to look back down the mountain. But tell them there's only six steps to the bottom of the mountain. And the lovely thing about perspective of being on top of something is you've got a clearer view, haven't you? So this guy, for example, he's on top of the mountain. He was like, well, okay, it'll be a little bit posh because I want to prove a point. But you're right, actually, I don't need all that. I'm just going to do this and this because I'm good at what I do and it'll grow. I've done it before. So he's in this not-so-grand office, but still nice. He's doing all right. And I said, okay, what did you have to do one step before you're sat at your nice desk in your office? And he said, well, I guess I had to find the office. Yeah, yes, you would. Okay, so we wrote that into what we'll call step six. So we've got the mountain top, the step beneath it is step six. And I said, okay, so you had to find the office. Before step six, what did you have to do? Well, I had to choose a location based on staffing needs and 
Okay, so that's step five. Great. What was step four? I had to decide what the company was going to be and get the funding. Great, that's step four. What was step three? Step three was I had to be sure of why I was doing it. Was it an internal or external goal? Brilliant. That's a good step three. What was step two? Step two was getting on with it. Parking all the external stuff, all the emotions that would stop me taking that first step and getting on with it. Recognising that no one can make me think or feel anything I don't choose to and that I'm more than damn capable if I stop listening to external sat-navs and other people's behavioural issues and problems. So great. What was step one? Spoke to an Ollie coach. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. It's But what people do is, and again, it depends on you, because I'm big picture, I probably, well, yeah, I'm just going to run up there and I'll hit obstacles all the way and probably fall off the mountain. Then you'll have very detailed people that will see a million steps. It's too many and they get bogged down in detail. So we've actually just created, okay, I was playing around a little bit there, but we've created just six steps. Now, some of them are quite big, weren't they? Get the financial backing, find the office. They're quite big. But what you can then do is make that step its own mountain. Once you take that first step, once you take the second step, that really big third step, I've already done two. It's not so high. And I I remember where I used to live growing up, in Croydon, there was a hill called Gravel Hill, which was a dual carriageway, went up, and my parents lived just – you had to go over it and go back down the other side to get to my parents. And I had to cycle up it, and it was a big hill. And I used to just give up. I used to start – literally, even as it started, I go, oh, well, I'm not going to get up the top, so why bother? And then I just sat there and went, no, come on. And I used lampposts. I just used the lamppost on the road. I'm going to get to, I'm going to see how far I can get. Can I get to the second lamppost? Got to the second lamppost. Well, okay. Next time, I'm going to get to the third lamppost. Yeah, and it just went on. It didn't take me long to get up the hill. No, I didn't cycle up a hill. Yeah. I cycled up another lamppost. And it really made a difference. I didn't see the whole hill. It was lamppost by lamppost. In, in effect, that's what this does. It's so much more powerful because from the top, you can see the steps. From the bottom, you can't see all your lampposts, but from the top, you can. And from the top, you could say, okay, what did I do before I got here? I got past lamppost six. What did I do? Lamppost five, lamppost four, three, two. Got on my bike, lamppost one. Each of those lampposts might have issues. So you just go again, what did I need to do? Well, I had to get on my bike, I had to adjust the saddle. I had to sort of puncture out. Got to lamppost one. But all of a sudden, that huge mountain is little achievable steps. And you're right. Every time you achieve one of those steps, you're empowered. Your sat-nav is more clear and directed. And more self-belief comes in because the lovely thing about climbing up a mountain is altitude sickness, right? (laughs) You go a bit lightheaded, which means that you're focusing on getting there. You're not focusing on what held you back. That thing is, especially on Cycling Hill, is... Once I get to that third lamppost, yeah, well, the next time I come to this hill, I know I can get to the third lamppost. I've done it before. So I'm not cycling up the hill. I'm just cycling to the fourth lamppost. It was just, I've cycled up four lampposts. So that even ends me. It's, I was only worried about once I got past the fourth lamppost, could I get to the fifth? The first four I've done, I've nailed it. 
but the difference is your analogy, my analogy is if you get to the third or fourth lamppost, if you get to your third or fourth step on my mountain, you have. And every time you achieve a step or a lamppost, something in you will change. Your beliefs you have about your skills, your capabilities, the contamination that was holding you back, external opinions, limiting beliefs are further behind you and it gets easier. And once I cycled up that hill, I learned about the benefit of these lampposts. I realized I could apply it to other things. That might be a nice idea. I'm still applying it on the emotional side. I'm still trying to look at how the, what the emotional lampposts are. But no, it is you sit there going, right, I need, I need to do this. Cool. And it might be saving up for something. Yeah. You need to save up 50K or whatever to get a new, blah, 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 blah. Cool. Don't start with 50. Let's get to 5K. Let's get to 5K. Well, it only took me six months to get to 5K, whatever. I'll be at 10. So you use that information that you've done to go, I'll do it next time. And you then it helps you work out, okay, yeah, I can, I'm going to do this. It's not, it wasn't 50K, which is miles away. So I did 5K in this long. The, the only thing that will stop you, seriously, and, you know, I can imagine there's people shouting right now as I'm saying this, is your goal internal or external? Do you need the huge office? Really? What's that about? Or do you just need an office where you can be amazing? And the biggest one is the first step. And the first step, that's the one you haven't taken yet, as I wouldn't be talking to you about goal setting. And that first step is actually nine times out of ten, not a physical thing. It's not finding an office. It's not raising money. It's the emotional one. And it's recognizing that the only person that's going to stop you going up that damn mountain is you. Now, you can blame external things. That makes you feel good. But be honest with yourself. And one of the things we do with goal setting is once people have done their steps from the top and they've written them in as much detail as they can, I ask them to put a time scale against it. And they put time count and they're going to be, yes, I'm going to do this in three months. I'm going to. And then what I ask them to do is to sit on a chair and put an empty chair opposite them. And imagine that in that empty chair is them. And I want them to tell their other self about this goals, about the steps, and about the timescale. And how they're going to do it. And then I just want them to switch seats and sit in the other seat <laughs> and say, come on, that's lovely. But we both know you're not going to do that in three months because, because. So make it four months. Give yourself a break. And we both know you're not going to take that first step until you deal with those limiting beliefs. So I'm changing your first step because the only person you can't lie to, not really, is the person that knows you better than you know yourself. And that's you. It's a very powerful exercise. And what happens is they tend to rewrite those steps, but what they rewrite make those steps firm and strong and achievable. And we get amazing feedback with, oh, we've done all these different exercises on goal setting and motivation. This works. And it works because I've made it internal again. With that last part of the exercise, if you sit in opposite the chair, which is you, I've made it internal again, not external. I went on a, um, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember why it was. It was a business thing. And it was. I think it was about, what are you aiming for? Yeah. Because if you don't have something to aim for, where are you going? And the first person 
his their aim was like he set a salary expectation. I want to earn this much. Very oh. much external. Yeah. Why? And they were like, why? What? What for? And he was like, and it, it was just it was a thing that he wanted to get to. And they're like, but why? Yeah. Why get your company's turnover to this value? Why? Yeah. If you sit there and go, I want to earn enough money so that I can retire at 45 and travel around the world. Oh, now I have something. Yeah. But a salary number is meaningless. If I want to earn that much money so I can start my own racing team and race cars. Oh, now you've got something. Now you've got something. I find a job title, a number, something like that is meaningless. Oh, it, it, but it's not. I mean, to be fair, it's what I would call the external fat nav. And I would question, what is it about achieving that's so important to you? And it won't be, I can take care of my wife and kids. That won't be the first thing that comes out of the mouth. It will be something about how they're viewed by others. But, do you know, for some people... That external is all that matters to them. But every time when we do these exercises, and I can see there's an external there, I don't say, oh, my God, what are you doing? Because we're individuals and that's up to you. But that's when I'd say, what is that about? What what makes that so important? If you use the word why, they'll just regurgitate, well, because, you know, I've had my big office and my nice car. What makes that important? Well, it will mean that, I've made it. Okay, so a big office means you've made it. Well, everybody else will think I've made it if I've got a big office. I mean, everybody knows the bigger the office, it's like a car, isn't it? And all of a sudden, you get them to start recognising the story they're telling themselves and adjusting the goal that they've set. And if you set a goal that isn't really internal, those steps are much deeper and much bloody harder because your heart's not really in it. You're not really doing it for the reasons that really matter. You don't need a big office to run a very successful company. You need a big office for everybody to see you're successful. So is your goal to be seen to be successful or to run a successful company? And those are the questions we ask that help people define those steps. And the moment you define them and you make them more real, there's less chance of them not achieving. If you're aiming for that taking care of your family or I want to be able to take my family on a holiday every year, yeah? Yeah, I want to travel somewhere every year. That's, what, that's my goal, yeah? You'll work to that. If it is I want to be seen by others or respected by others, I think you'll spend half your time worrying, have I got that yet? Am I there yet? And you'll never Am do I it. do that? There'll always be somebody that's got a bigger bloody office. But to be fair, you know, none of us put ourselves through that on purpose. We weren't born with a desire to have a big office that we could show off. It's something that we've learned along the way. It's something in us that says success means this. Now, that's a learned thing. And again, that first step is so important because it's recognizing, is that something that you truly believe or is that something that you've been told and has been reinforced? This isn't somebody else's mountain. What would make you happy? And that's the thing is every single person listening to this podcast has their own mountain. They might have three mountains, actually. Yeah. And you're generally not at the start of a mountain because you either haven't thought of it yet, but you're probably halfway up. Yeah? You might be halfway up one mountain, yeah? 
But also, my step two and your step three might be the same. You might have another seven steps. I might have one more step. No one's goal is the same. The goals aren't the same, but the reason that we keep to six steps is because I've been in situations where there's 3,522 steps. You're never going to do it. Now, within each of those six steps, there might be 20 steps, little things you've got to do to get to the next step. But if you just make it one step and then break that step down rather than having millions of steps. So we limit everybody every time. We've got, it's like a program that we run now that you can download if you're interested in how to recognize your goal, really associate in it and see what is this internal, external, what are my six steps? And are they really my six steps or are they the six steps my external satnav is telling me they should be? My internal one, which is the honest one that says, you know, I'm good at what I do. I'm going to keep doing what I do. I don't need a bloody great London in office to do that. Office in London. I can do that down the road. The office does not make my company successful. I do. Then it becomes internal. Offices in London, so overrated. Or anywhere, any cities will do, obviously, but you get my point. Yeah. No, but the thing is that London office, that is prestige, isn't it? The office in London on Harley you've Street or London something. I've got a tube in, in the morning. I don't think it's that prestigious. No, but it is that thing. Is I literally going, you're literally paying thousands. So when someone looks at your website or looks at your business card, you've got a particular postcode. And that changes nothing apart from, I don't want to come and see you because it's going to be a lot of work to get into London. <laughs> I think that used to be a big one, didn't it? So I'm certainly working in the city, but so many of us work from home now. And yeah. so many of us don't need big prestigious offices anymore because we can work from home because we've got everything we need. So I think all that's going out the window. But as an example of the external external. I think it's going to take a long while for people to let go of that. It's ingrained in people. And I know people are going, I'm going to move out, I'm going to move out. Right. Do you know why it won't be? Because it's only ingrained with people. You are not born thinking, I need a big office in London to prove I'm successful to the world. You learn that as you go. And you learn that from what's going on around you, your peers, your parents, your family, all that sort of stuff. But the reason it will change is because there's organisations like us that are getting to kids and going, really? And they're going, no, I just want to be happy. Do you need a big office? Metaphorically. No, I'm quite happy working from home. (laughs) Bang. The only way is Essex to the only way is working from home. <laughs> it's just things like that. But it is, I do think that it, it, there's this fear of this is the way it's always been. And I know people who wanted to move out, oh, sorry for banging the mic, wanted to move out to Devon or wherever, but just went, but it's probably just going to be a fad. It'll all go back to the way it's always been. No, no, that's external. That's an external. That's an external. It doesn't matter the way it's always been. It doesn't matter if it's a fad. What's right for you? And we're afraid to say that and we're afraid to act on that, aren't we? It's because everyone else's opinion of you and where you live. There's... To it. Step one, get some therapy. If you're listening to that opinion, then seriously, you will never achieve a goal, whether it's internal or external, until you start listening to yourself and what really matters to you, not what you're trying to prove to others. That is the biggest block on achieving your goal. And even if you manage to scramble up that mountain with that thought process, you will not be happy because there'll be a bigger mountain and you won't be able to help yourself but want to go and climb that one. You'll never find contentment. It's about looking internally and recognising when you're not. 
So that's my next question, actually, as you said that, is, so if I get to the top of my mountain, do I just, like, pick up a deck chair and enjoy the view? Is it, you then go, right, what's next? Or that's the thing, is sometimes it is... Why not? All for our lives, we've got hundreds of mountains. So at the moment, I've got a mountain. I do want to emigrate to Australia. That's my mountain. How am I going to do that? And I'm about three steps up. And a while back, looking up, it was like, no chance. I want to lose weight. That's another mountain. It's a big mountain. It's probably bigger than the Australia thing for me. That means I've got to get to a gym and I've got to change my eating habits. Now, that's all step one. That's beliefs and emotional restrictions. We can do anything if we get ourselves out of the way. And by getting ourselves out of the way, I mean our emotional selves out of the way. Then you can do it. And then people say to me, well, yeah, come on, Ali, but, you know, you do this with kids. I'm not sure you should because you're telling them they can do anything and be anything. There's, a, there's an organisation out in Ireland, Northern Ireland, called Maid Murray. They were set up to help people that are in wheelchairs have accessibility to the things we take for granted, going on the beach, stuff like that. We were working with these guys, and when I met them, gorgeous young people, teenagers, various levels of disability, but the kindest, most beautiful people I've ever met. And I said, hopes and dreams, what you got? We did a bit, bit of this mountain, and they were like, well, we can't because we're in a wheelchair. We can't because... I'm like, when you say you can't... So one of them wanted to be a hairdresser, and she said, well, I can't because, you know... Uh, hairdresser, wheelchair, I, you know, I couldn't even reach people's head. And she came all these reasons why she couldn't be a hairdresser. I said, okay, that's a lot of external reasons you can't be a hairdresser, but practical ones, I get that. If you do it the way it's always been done. So your first step is to stop believing that you can't because no one's done it yet. And to actually utilise the fact that you understand being in a wheelchair to create something that you can make work. So she did. She created a method of working from a wheelchair to run a hair salon. And others in that group went on and did the same sort of thing. One last way to build houses. And she said, I'll never do it though. You know, I haven't got this. I haven't got that paperwork degrees. And I said, no, but you've got the one thing that you're, you've not mentioned yet that you've got that the house builders haven't got. And she went, What's that? I'm not a builder. I'm not a labourer. I'm not. I mean, you know what that house needs to be. Yes. I said, why don't you go and talk to a couple of them and say, do you know, if you're thinking about building homes for people like me, can we talk? Can I advise you? Is she actually physically putting the bricks down? No, although I believe she did put one down. Has she built that bugger? Oh, yeah. Yes. So her dream was to build this house. Sometimes. You have to adjust that dream because there are things that do physically get in the way. Okay. But you can adjust it to move them out the damn way. That's the thing. Building, you could look at the whole thing as building. I've got to build the whole thing. Not always. And that's a really good one because you're literally going, if I wasn't, if that person wasn't there, how that turned out would have been very different. And that, isn't just oh i've changed the house slightly that you've changed someone's life we we had one a while ago and a mum got quite cross with me because she didn't hear the whole session i was working with a teenage son who's autistic fairly high functioning but he wanted to be a racing driver i went do it and she went ali you know i get what you're doing but his autistic's not going to happen she wasn't being negative she wasn't putting him down she's protecting him from failure yeah 
And I said, here's the thing. I said, listen to the rest of the conversation. So I call the kid Paul. I said, Paul, why do you want to be a racing driver? I like driving. Okay. What else do you like? I like going really fast. What else do you like? Something I can do on my own and out there I feel free. For him, being a racing driver was driving, being on my own, feeling free. It wasn't driving for Red Bull. That was his goal, version of what that means. And again, we can get lost in that. And that's why I make a big point when someone says, I've got a goal, tell me about it. What's important about it and why? It wasn't driving for Red Bull. He didn't, you know, he had no expectations about that and not because of his disabilities. For all I know, he bloody well could have done and done brilliantly. It just wasn't even on his mind. That was us thinking, oh, my God, he can't because. But he didn't want to. He just wanted certain aspects of that experience. That was his goal. What we did was go, oh, my God, you know, we're setting him up to fail. He wants to ride for Red Bull. That's not what he wanted. No. That's the thing is sometimes we don't hear what's being said. We hear what we think we hear. And we hear what we do worse than that. We actually translate it into our models of the world. So I want to be a racing driver. To me, straight away, meant Formula One. It's not what it meant for him. I'm sure he'd love to. And if he gets there, good on him. I don't see why he can't, to be honest. I've heard he's pretty damn good. But, but it could be something else. You know, Ali, don't encourage him. He's only got one leg or he's in a wheelchair. He can't possibly do that. He can't do it the way it's being done at the moment. But don't tell him he can't do it. Well, Go back exactly, to my house builder. There is a racing car driver who, uh, in a horrible accident at Brands Hatch, lost most of his both legs. Can't drive. He's going, but I love it. So basically the rule was, if you can get out of the car in a certain amount of time due to a fire, yep. you can do. Absolutely. So they adapted. So he now drives with, I think, like the throttle on the wheel and all that lot, and he still races. He might not be the fastest, but if he's doing what he loves, and this is the best bit, if someone else sees an autistic racing driver and goes, ooh, I thought that wasn't an option for me. Yeah, exactly. We're now changing the world for someone else. And we have a few more mountains being climbed. Which aren't so big anymore. His dream, he did have a dream. He wanted to play football for one of the big clubs, Chelsea. And I went, okay, that's your goal. So we did my thing. And he's up the top there. He's in his whatever, blue, I presume, Chelsea. And I said, right, so tell me what's going on for that version of you right now. How does he feel? Proud. Why is he proud? Because he's playing football for a good team went okay what else is he feeling really good because he's earning a little bit of money and he can pay his mum back for looking after what else all the girls really fancy him and i said and he went on and on like this and it was lovely and most of it was external but there's a lot of heart in there and his mum said ali's never gonna play for freaking chelsea and i went does he need to so i said to him okay it'd be good if you got to play for chelsea i don't know if you will or you won't i'm not gonna say you can't what do i know but all the things that you've just said does it have to be Chelsea? What if you could earn a bit of money, maybe not playing football, maybe have a job and you're playing football so you can pay your mum back, which is a lovely thing. What if all the girls fancy you? Because let's face it, you're a nice-looking lad, why wouldn't they? What if you could play a bit of football at a decent level? You went, yeah, I'd be right. So, so it doesn't have to be Chelsea. You went, it'd be nice if it was, but no, I guess not. And again, it's back to what does that really mean? What's that really about? And that's why I don't have a problem with asking people what their goal is. And certainly when we're, we, you know, we're dealing with kids and people say, don't set their expectations, I'm not there. What I'm doing is getting them to recognise what's important about that expectation so that they've got options to achieve it. 
I bet you, unless you grew up in the 80s, 90s, you have no idea who Accrington Stanley, who are they? Exactly. Remember that advert? Yeah. No. <laughs> it, was a milk, it was a milk advert. Yeah. Who's and it was like, yeah. so you hear that? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, I know who Accrington Stanley was. You know who's in the premiership, yeah? So when a child says, I want to play for Chelsea, half the time, they're probably saying language they know. Of course they are. They're saying, they, they know what they've seen, that's it. So, but you sit here, what's the reason? You went, well, this can call. So you, basically, you love football and you want to look after your mum. Right, there are other ways you can do it. And that way, what you're doing is you're not destroying the dream. You're just going, look, there are various variations of this dream. All of them could work out really well. I've just got to. I think, I think you, you're setting someone up to fail if you just say, "I'm sorry, mate. Do it. That's never going to happen for the likes of you and me for whatever reason." That's not even giving them a chance to fail. That's just saying you have failed. Deal with it. Or you can say, "Well, yeah, go for it," and they're not going to get there because they don't get the blue shirt, and they will feel like they failed. But if you really understand what that goal is really about, and for this kid, for example, it was playing football at a decent level. I don't know what that was. Earning a bit of money. It didn't actually have to be playing football. These were things that mattered to him, and he put them all in a blue football kit. But once we broke them down, he realised it didn't have to be in a blue football kit, but they were things he wanted. Delhi can't fail because I gave him options on what was really important about that goal and opened his mind to what they were so he could see them. He pinned it all on that blue shirt. If he hadn't got the blue shirt, he would have said he'd failed. He hadn't. Yeah, I think sometimes if you have like a love of something, you try and turn it into your career. If you don't get that rose-tinted version you hoped for, you can really push you off what you love. If It's the same again. Though, is it, is it? Is so you could go, what is it you love about it? Internal or external. And if you don't achieve it, was it really important? And if it's put you off your career, are you, were you actually honest with yourself in the first place? Because sometimes I, I sit there going, it's almost like worthwhile is keeping that love as your love of what you love, photography, whatever, and maybe get a job so you can do that in the way you love it, not go, well, the only job in photographer is taking photos of football matches, which I'm not into. I'll have to do that because that's my career. No, no it's what is the reason? Is it because you want to say, I'm a photographer with my career, or is it I want to take fo- It's Yeah, it's internal, external, and I'm picking it all. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, I've had these conversations where people say, yeah, that's Ali, lovely, Ali. I'd love to be a you know, photographer, even if it's just taking pictures of football players. But, you know, I don't have the education, I don't have this, I don't have that. Now, you can say, okay, why don't you? And it might just be that they weren't, didn't enjoy school. It might be additional need to. There's always a way. But if we're so set in what that mountaintop looks like without breaking down what it means, then we're more likely to fail or not try, which is failing. But if we can work out what it really means and why it's important to us, and we suddenly realise it's not about a blue shirt or a big bloody office or laying the brick in the house. It's about fulfilling something in you in relation to all of that. That's a bit emotional at the end there. I had my moments. I am an emotional therapist. You introduced me that way, remember? Yes. If I don't chuck in a bit of emotion, I feel like I've failed you somehow. Yes. No, you did. You did. But, yeah, it's... Why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? And if you, your answer is big salary, 
well, you want a BMW. Well, why do you want a BMW? Because, no, that's not reason. Why? Yeah, it's got might, might be a whole reason. Yeah, but I, and, and again, if, if, if mums are listening or teachers or anyone that deals with goal setting for their kids or for themselves, avoid the word why. Because if you say why, the person opposite is just going to regurgitate their story. But if you say what is it about, why them, is it? how is it that part so important? Then they have to go inside again, internalize to answer that question. Why? Well, because everyone's got a BMW. Everyone knows, unless you've got a BMW, you haven't made it. But it might be that an uncle took me for a drive in his BMW when he was younger and he loved it. And it's what is the reason? Yeah. And once you find it. Well, it depends who you ask. Ask a lad, he'll tell you about all the kit in it and that it's got X torque and all this. Ask a girl, and she'll say, because it's red. But How very someone, sexist of that, you! I know someone that said that. What card do you want? A red one. Okay, but you know, it's it's not sexist. It's but no telling you what's important. That what's important to that person? Now you yes. and I could take that as sexist because that's our view of the world. But for this person, they didn't care what make or model it was, how fast it went, or what badges it had. They just wanted a red car. That was a girl. I think again, we always infer that. So you said that one was sexist. No, but no, that, that's what she cared about. You know, why? Why red? Because, and they'll give a reason. So I said, why red? How come you want it red? What is it about a red car? They go faster. Okay. And you just need that's to not... know when to back out of those conversations, really, don't you? But it's the same thing. It's we instinctively go, oh my God, you can't, because we're projecting what that mountain looks like for someone. Certainly, another time about children and goals, and we just need to break it down and ask them specifically what makes that so important to you. What's that about? Sometimes it is an emotional connection to a red car for something in their past, and that's their reason. And once they've got it and gone, oh, it wasn't the fact it was red; it was the fact it was that. I like the idea of a red car because there aren't many of them anymore, and you can find it in Tesco's. I'm always losing my car. Love it. I'm, oh yeah, I've only lost my car park once. My car once. That was a big car park, and it wasn't my car. It was a hire car, which made it even hard because I couldn't actually quite remember what it looked like. And then there were lots of them because lots of hire cars. Won't be doing that again. Right, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Thank you, Ali, for coming on the show. Thanks for having. Really enjoyed it. I'm going to work out which mountain I'm on and where I am, and I, have I even taken that first step? You give me some links to loads of Ollie stuff, and you did write me then. You give me a small diagram that you're going to send me. That people can use to yeah, download. Yeah, we, as I said, we've got workbooks that literally take you through this goal setting and how to make things happen for yourself and recognize internal, external. But I can send for a really, really basic this is a mountain, these are the steps, this is what I need you to think about, chaps, and you'll be fine. Marvelous. So you'll find those in the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast or on our website. And you'll also be sharing, I will also be sharing Ali's contact details so you can get in contact with the wonderful Ali. Thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button or go to the website and you'll find all the links to the different platforms. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news from us. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesyncast.com. And if you're struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress to people with SCND. 
So if you're a school in England, not sure about the engagement model, the pre-key stage standards, anything else, you're a school in Wales and you've got the curriculum for Wales, get in contact. You can find out about our online training, read our blog, watch our webinars and much more. It's all on the B-Squared website and you'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. (laughs) Goodbye from me. Take care, everyone. Bye.